Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Well, as I just prayed, we are in a series right now that we just started last week called Invitations in the Desert. Uh, The desert season is uh, language that has been used for a couple of thousand years to describe spiritually dry seasons of life. It's a season of life that many of us find ourselves in right now. But what we are exploring is the possibility that within those desert seasons that that God is there with us and that he extends invitations to us that if we say yes to, we'll breed new life inside of us. And so we're gonna jump back into that today. We're looking at five invitations. Last week, we looked at the invitation to embrace faith. And uh, if you missed that, you can find that uh, on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. But I'd encourage you to get catch, caught up there. Uh, secondly, we are going to, Lord willing, have a time of text message Q&A uh, this week. And so uh, there's gonna be a number uh, on each of the slides. And if at any point you have a question about something that you hear, how something applies in your particular situation or season of life, or a question about anything, feel free to text those in. And I'll answer as many as we have time for uh, at the end today. All right? Well, to start, I want you to reflect with me for a second on how much the world has changed in the past hundred years. So just think back to what you might know about the 1920s, okay? We'll just go back a hundred years from now. But think about what a completely different world it was just a hundred years ago, which in the scope of history is really not that long. But a hundred years ago in the 1920s, We had uh, the first radios uh, beginning to exist in people's homes where they could begin to hear news in the privacy of their own home. We had air travel becoming at least a slight possibility of being a a, a means of of, uh, transportation for people uh, other than like daredevils and insane people that were like, think about a terrible thing to experiment with. Flying is like not at the top of my list. We had cars becoming much more readily available, which made the demand for good roads uh, to go up as well. All of that was only 100 years ago. And the truth is, if we just back up 10 years, 20 years, the world has changed so much. And I would argue that, that probably the most sizable and significant change that we have seen over the last 100 years is just the sheer speed with which everything seems to happen in our lives. Like, I don't know if you remember, but Burger King's mantra, uh, I, don't, I don't really follow what is going on with Burger King right now, but I remember, <laughs> what if I was just like obsessed with Burger King and their entire corporate culture? Uh, the only thing I remember is that their mantra used to be your way right away. Remember that? And I would say that that has in so many ways very much become our cultural mantra. We have become very accustomed to getting exactly what we want in an instant. And the greatest proof of how common this has become for us is how dismayed, how put out, how frustrated we get when we experience a delay of virtually any kind. Like take your phone or your computer, for instance. 
Like I, 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 anytime I open my phone and I click on the Safari app to like do a Google search or something, if, if that search hangs up for like a second, I immediately go to this place of like, well, this device is completely useless. <laughs> How insane is that? Like I, I know that some of you are young enough that you literally don't know a world without internet and phones, but I'm old enough that I remember that there was a time in my life if I wanted to know something, I couldn't just open my phone and Google it. I had to drive to a library and look it up in an encyclopedia, which is a book if you don't know. <laughs> so much has changed. We have become so accustomed to getting things so fast. Even when we first got the internet, does anybody remember dial-up? It was about as fast as just driving to the library to get an encyclopedia. It was barely helpful. My point in this is just to say that we have become a culture that is marked and expects instant gratification in almost every way. And the reality is, that is a tremendous gift and blessing to us in a million different practical ways. But it poses a significant problem for us when it comes to our spiritual lives. This expectation that we have of instant gratification in almost everything has poisoned our expectations when it comes to our own formation. In that we expect our formation, we expect transformation and change to happen in our life. We expect it to happen fast because everything happens so fast in our lives. And when we expect fast, we forget that our formation is a process. If you were here last week or you listened to the podcast, you'll be familiar with this definition, but this is the working definition that we are using regarding what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so we're kind of pulling apart each phrase of that. And this week, I want to focus our attention on the reality that our formation is all about process. And especially... When we find ourselves in dry desert seasons, we have to recognize and respond to the invitation to embrace the process. We have to throw off the expectation that change is going to happen fast in us, that transformation and healing will always happen fast in us, and our expectation should be hung on the reality that our formation is a process. And the truth is, like, I mean, we're going to look at the scriptures today to substantiate this, but even if we didn't have the Bible, experientially, we all know change is a process. Like, it's not very common. Like, we have moments where you have some kind of encounter or experience with God where you might experience a, a sizable, significant transformation that takes place in a moment and you are never the same. But that doesn't happen very often. And I think that even sometimes when those moments happen, we, we begin to think, well, that's the primary way in which God brings about our formation. And then that becomes our expectation. When the truth is, these like really quick transitions or healings that God does in our lives, they're not meant to be normative. What's normative is this very long, slow process of healing, transformation, and change. And there's a number of places that we could look in the scriptures. This morning, I want to point our attention to a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 4. 
uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, um, I'm, we're going to just look at verses 13 to 15 in just a second, but I, we're kind of dropping in on this long run-on sentence that the Apostle Paul wrote. And, uh, and so I want to make sure that we understand the context of this. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's primary theme that he's writing about is one of unity. He's urging unity in this local church. And he roots the, roots the motive for that reality or for that call in the reality that Christians are one body, which is a really sobering reminder for us today. When we are very divided by our various theological convictions and tribes and denominations that we find ourselves in, anyone who follows Jesus is a part of the one body of Christ. And it can look a lot of different ways, but he calls us to unity because we are one body. And furthermore, he goes on to say that we are led by his one spirit. And then he says that, he has, that Jesus has gifted the church with various expressions of leaders of leadership, so apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. And he said the purpose for leadership in the church is to equip the saints, to equip other followers of Jesus to be able to do the work of ministry. So my responsibility as a pastor is to help other people learn how to follow Jesus in such a way that they can work for his kingdom to come more and more in their own lives and in our world. And then we come to verse 13. And he provides instruction as to what exactly it is that we are building as a church. And he sets the direction for every Christian life. So look with me at verse 13. So he's just said that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Now pay attention to this part, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now, the specific thing I want us to pay attention to in these three verses is this theme that Paul comes back to two different times that is the theme of growth. The very notion that Paul refers to what happens in us and what God does in us as growth implies process. Growth is slow. Agreed? Like, I think about this from the vantage point at this season of my life as, as a parent, I've watched my kids, We've, Ava is 13 years old, and so I've watched my kids slowly grow for the last 13 years. And the truth is that growth has not happened quickly. I, I will say, I, ever since like the moment we had a kid, one of the things that people with older kids have been saying to us, which is just annoying, is, because uh, it, it always comes on the heels of you sharing something that's like really hard about parenting a young kid, you're just like exhausted and covered in diapers and awfulness, and, and they always go, oh, it goes so fast. You're like, yeah, it could go a little faster at this moment, okay? <laughs> Doesn't feel fast right now. But we have gotten to the point now where I'm starting to look back now and look at my kids and go, this feels like it's going fast. But the reality is growth really doesn't happen fast, right? 
Like we never, we didn't put Ava down as a one-year-old and then she woke up a 13-year-old obsessed with Twilight and Taylor Swift. Like we had to cultivate that in our home. (laughs) So growth is slow. It doesn't happen fast. It takes time. And so Paul, this is the, the image and the metaphor that Paul uses in verse 13. He says, we are to be growing into maturity. Growing into maturity, and then goes on to say, a stature that is measured by Christ's fullness. Now, I would, I would say that that is what I would refer to as a very pregnant fa- phrase. Because it's loaded with meaning, and it tells us something about how we should under, understand and, and define what maturity is. So let me ask you to consider this question. What do you think it means to be spiritually mature? Don't yell out your answer, just think about it for a second. What do you think it means to be spiritually mature? Because I've noticed that oftentimes the way that we tend to define maturity is more often than not rooted to however faithful a person is in their spiritual disciplines. So we look at practices. So someone who is mature is like faithful to read the Bible, faithful to have some sort of prayer uh, prayer life, faithful to participate in a local church. We look at disciplines and practices and we go, people who do these things faithfully are mature. But I got to tell you, I've known a lot of people that know the Bible super well, and they are not very spiritually mature. So I think it's important that we don't immediately define something in terms of just our faithfulness in practice, because Paul says right here that we are to grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So what he's saying is, to be spiritually mature is to be Jesus-like in every way. Now, I think that's an important correction for us, because oftentimes what we do is we are prone to isolate the parts, the characteristics of Jesus that really resonate with us, and we hold those up as the definition of spiritual maturity, and we neglect oftentimes and ignore what a complicated makeup Jesus had. Jesus says some of the most comforting and encouraging things, and he says some of the most disturbing and unnerving things. He's all of those things. And again, in verse 15, Paul says, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So spiritual maturity, the aim to which we are moving, that God is growing us, is that we would be Jesus-like in every single way which certainly is going to involve our Christian practice. The likelihood of being a spiritually mature follower of Jesus and having no relationship with the scriptures is very low. The ability to grow in Christ's likeness, but to never speak to him through prayer is not a thing. So practice is for sure a part of it. It's just not the whole. Again, Always draw your attention back to the people that Jesus has the most consistent conflict with. It's always the religious leaders of his day. And they knew the Bible better than any of us ever will. So Bible alone, theology alone, practice alone does not mean that we are spiritually mature. I would say another place for you to look in addition to practice is in your responses and your reactions relationally. How do you respond when someone is 
rude to you, or thoughtless, or mean, or says something that you don't agree with, if our reactions and our responses are not loving, not gentle, not kind, then we have an immense amount of maturing to do spiritually. So I think it's very important that we don't just define spiritual maturity as people who faithfully practice spiritual disciplines, but that we would be Jesus-like in every single way. And the point that Paul conveys to us in Ephesians chapter 4 is that that will necessarily mean embracing a process of formation. We don't grow quickly. So if I were to summarize what I think Paul's getting at here in Ephesians chapter 4, I would summarize it like this. Formation doesn't happen fast. It's a process of patient growth. Formation doesn't happen fast. It is a process of patient growth. And so when we find ourselves in a season of life that feels like a desert, that it feels dry, that it feels void of life, there are some specific invitations to us, again, that our desire for growth extends to us. And so I made a list of a couple things. Growth in the desert invites us to three things. The first is growth in the desert invites us to be patient. To be patient, which is not easy for us. So I want to just say, for those of you that look at where you are in life, specifically spiritually, and where you are in your own maturity journey, for those of you that that look at where you are and you feel frustrated, I want to invite you to just take a breath. Because God is at work. You may not see it right now. It may not feel like God's doing some big miraculous move in power in your life, but he is at work. And because he's at work, we can just rest in that and we can be patient. Furthermore, if you find yourself in a season where like you're really struggling to be patient with the process of growth in your life, Here's one thing I would encourage you to do. Focus less on results and more on your actual relationship with Jesus. We tend to be a very very results-oriented people. And so we read, like, pick your passage, 1 Corinthians 13, in this very, very stark description of what love is. Love is patient and kind and gentle and long-suffering. And so we read lists like that which isn't bad, and we look at those descriptions, and then we immediately go, oh man, I am just not very gentle. Now it's good that we have these passages that help describe for us what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus and model the way of love in our lives, but if we become overly fixated on the results, that fixation on results does not change us. Relationship with Jesus does. And so we have to learn to be able to allow these things to be our north star or our rudder, if you will, to direct us in a particular manner. But change and transformation happens by focusing on our actual relationship with God. So when we find ourselves struggling to be patient with ourselves, with God, with where we are, we have to hear this invitation to be patient and to trust that he is at work. And that's not all. Growth in the desert invites us to be compassionate 
as well. To be compassionate. To be compassionate both with yourself and with others. And I, I think like the more time that I spend with people pastorally and the more attentive I am to my own response to myself, it's very hard to be compassionate with yourself, isn't it? Very, very challenging to be kind to oneself, to be compassionate toward ourselves. And so I think it's an important challenge to us that we would hear God say to us to be compassionate with ourselves. God knows that this formation is a process, that it takes time, that it's slow, and that it's hard. Over and over and over again, the most consistent response from Jesus to hurting, struggling people in the Gospels is always that he was compassionate toward them. So if Jesus is compassionate toward you, shouldn't you be too? And we also have to acknowledge that other people are in this process. And so we're compassionate with one another as well. See, what we do is we're we're prone to look at, like, let's say you have some area in your life of what I would describe as, like, stubborn sin. Something in your life that you've known for so, like, I just can't seem to grow past this. And what happens is we get very frustrated with ourselves. How am I still struggling with this? How do I still struggle to pray? How do I still struggle to make time to read the Bible? And we just get so frustrated with how we have hindered or feel like we are hindering spiritual growth that God wants to produce in our lives. Here's what's really great news. Do you know that God is not frustrated with the pace at which he's growing you? He's not, fr- he, he's not frustrated. What we do is we, we tend to look at our own failures and shortcomings, our own ability to get in our own way, and then we project that onto God and we think somehow we're going to hinder what it is that he's gonna do in our lives. Like, for instance, this week, we got home last Saturday night from our vacation, had church here on Sunday, and I had super high hopes for this week. My study breaks over, I'm full-blown black to work, was done with the vacation, was gonna dial my eating back in, get in the gym. Guess how much of that happened? Big fat zero. We had a stomach bug rip through our house. I had a very unproductive week on all of those fronts. And all weekend, I woke up this morning thinking about it. I was just like, I just frustrated, man. Like, I didn't do any of the things that I thought I was going to do. And the good news is, God's not like that. God is not frustrated. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, at another point, says to another church that he knew was prone to all the same things that we are, he said, I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. That should deeply comfort and encourage us. You cannot thwart God's plan. He is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. As we'll see in coming weeks, we for sure participate in this process, but it is God who is forming us in his image. And he's going to get it done. He's going to see that through to completion. And so we need not look at ourselves with this harsh judgment that we are so prone to. We don't need to look at one another with harsh judgment like we are prone to. Instead, we can be compassionate with ourselves and compassionate with one another because that's Jesus' heart toward us as well. So we want to be patient. We're invited to be compassionate. And then lastly, growth in the desert invites us to be wise. To be wise. 
So as I said just a second ago, it is God primarily who does the work of forming us in his image. But we have a responsibility to participate with him in that process, and we participate with every single choice that we make. C.S. Lewis underscores the importance of our choices like this. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little bit different than it was before. So what that means is every single choice that we make, the choice we make regarding where we're going to focus our attention, the choice that we make regarding how we're going to invest our time, the things that we'll consume, how we're going to steward the finance that God has entrusted to us. Every single choice that we make does one of two things. It either deepens the degree to which we are becoming like Christ or it distorts it and slows that process down. And so, so much of our role in our formation is to continue to learn, to discern how to make wise choices. So we are invited to be patient. We're invited to be compassionate. And we are invited to live in a wise manner. Formation does not happen fast. It's a process of patient growth. So we are invited to be patient, to be compassionate, and to be wise. And especially if you find yourself in this desert season that we're talking about right now, I want to end this morning with some encouragement to you. This is a book by uh, a man I referenced last week, M. Robert Mulholland Jr. It's called Invitation to a Journey. It's the best single book I've read on spiritual formation. And he has this to say about these desert seasons. He says, what we don't realize is that often a period of apparent spiritual stagnation, a time in which we don't feel as if we are going anywhere, a phase of life in which our relationship with God seems weak or non-existent, the time of dryness, of darkness, what the mothers and fathers of the church speak of as the desert experience is filled with nurturing down below the surface that we never see. Even the desert seasons of life are part of the process. We are often so hurried and so rushed to get out of them, and we miss the invitation of Jesus to embrace them as part of the process. And that means we have to surrender the need to be able to see immediate gratification and results because it's slow and it's hard and it's difficult, but it's never meaningless. God is always working. And as much as we would love it, he just rarely does things fast. But he's always faithful to see through to completion the things that he starts in us. So let's take a breath and be patient and compassionate to be wise, but to rest in the fact that he is working this process in our lives. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we do thank you that you 
are good and faithful and that you never stop working on us, even when we do neglect to press into you and to relate with you, when we neglect to actively and intentionally participate in this process with you, you're still working. Even as we sleep, even as we rest, you are working and you never stop. And we thank you for that. And so Lord, I do, I pray for all of us, Lord, would you encourage us with that truth? Comfort us that even if we can't see it and even if we don't feel it, you are at work. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to trust you enough to embrace this process. Help us to be patient with you. Help us to be patient with ourselves. Help us to be patient with one another. Help us to be compassionate. And please do help us to be wise and discern the best choices to position us for life with you. We love you and we thank you that you are a good God who is committed to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're just going to take a, a moment to be able to reflect um, before we move on to Q&A. So if you have a journal with you or uh, a note that you keep track of stuff on your phone, maybe open that up. And what I want to invite you to reflect on this morning is just what, what part of what we've talked about is most needed for you to hear? What resonates with you most deeply? Maybe, maybe you did come in this morning feeling very frustrated with yourself and maybe what you need to spend some time reflecting on is that Jesus is compassionate toward you. Even, even in our failures and mistakes, he is compassionate toward us. Maybe it's patience. Maybe you can think through some of the ways that your life is made up and positioned right now and whether or not the choices that you've made are conducive to deepening Christ-likeness in your life. But let's just take a minute or two and do that. If you have any questions, go ahead and text those in and uh, I'll answer as many again as we have time for in just a second. So let's take this time to reflect now. Thank you.
Holy Spirit, I ask again that we would not be in the habit of listening to sermons or reading scripture and then just moving on and forgetting everything that's been said. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who reflect deeply on what it is that you're communicating to us in each season of life. And so this week, I pray that all that we've talked about this morning would continue to rattle around in our hearts and in our minds and that we would continue to talk to you and to hear from you on how all of this applies to where each of us are right now. So Lord, we ask that you would have your way in each of our lives and that you would continue to form us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.